Thank you, Paul and Jill, music team. Today we celebrate life. We pursue life. We talk about life. The kids have activities about life. Easter eggs, bunny rabbits, spring flowers, all speak to life. And it is what we all want. We all pursue. In fact, I think all around the world, people are looking for meaning and purpose and fulfillment in their lives. I've really not met anyone that says, I don't want to be happy. (laughs) I mean, they may say that to you, but I think all of us long for significance. We long for purpose. We, We long for fulfillment. And so we chase it. We pursue it. And we pursue it the best way that we know how. And this passage that we're going to look at today speaks to that pursuit and tells the story of one man expressing how that went for him, trying to find that fulfillment. His name is Paul, and you've probably heard that name, um, St. Paul, but really people added that later on. It's like when people call me reverend, I just, I do not like that. (laughs) So don't call me reverend. Um, This is Paul. You know, he's made of the same stuff. Had the same kind of pursuits. So if I were to describe to you the good life, the life that's fulfilled, the life that has purpose, the life that has meaning and, and happiness and peace inside, joy in my life, How would you describe that in a word? And I think of the word grace. The word grace tells us a lot about favor bestowed or goodness or kindness or mercy, abundance given out, even when we don't deserve it. Even when we don't deserve it. Grace. I've titled this message, Grace Has a Face. And the face is Jesus. I know you've heard of him, most likely, as a maybe religious figure or a point or maybe something that would drive you away because you're not sure where these religious weirdos are going. (laughs) But grace, goodness, kindness, mercy, peace, fulfillment has a face. And it is a person. And he is calling you, and he created you to have relationship with him. Now, you may not believe all that the Bible teaches, but I can challenge you, I think, today to test to see if this is true. I always say that to people. Go ahead and find out. Investigate it. Don't take my word for it. Dig in, find out, examine the facts. God created you, and he loved you. And he formed you to have a relationship with him. And there is no one in the world that has the power and the ability and the knowledge to bring that peace, that joy, that satisfaction, that fulfillment to your life than him. And he wants to. He wants to. So Paul will describe his journey. He was actually 
fighting against God. Um, I did that for a long time. I still remember back to moving in is before I became a teenager. <laughs> uh, thinking that the best way to be happy, the best way to find fulfillment and meaning in my life is to do what I wanted to do. When I'm in charge, good things are going to happen. So people ask me, how'd that work for you? <laughs> Not too well. I remember someone making a comment. They came and told me later is, who's that guy over there that never smiles? They're talking about me. But you know what? Let me tell you, I was happy because I was running my life. My mom, my dad, my teachers, my coach. Not telling me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to be happy. But I was the most miserable person on the face of the earth. And I think Paul was a lot like that. But here's, here's what he says in describing how he comes to the face of Christ. Grace has a face as Christ. Here's what he says in Philippians 3 and verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. In other words, the power that he has in rising from the dead. And he says, the second thing, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, which is a bit unusual. And then he says, becoming like him in death. Now, does that sound like the pathway to happiness to you? <laughs> but let's kind of unpack what he's saying here. He says, I want to know Christ. That little word, know, there's several. Of course, the New Testament is written in Greek originally. And the word know, um, in our English, we use for a lot of different things. But there, there are different words in the Greek. One is, you know, an intellectual knowledge. I want to know. To know the word is oida. It, it, it means that I want to have the intellectual knowledge. And that's not what it's saying here. It's not saying I just want an intellectual knowledge of Christ. The word here is ginosko, which means I want to know by experience. I, I want to know because it's real, tangible. So I could, before I had my first date with my wife, I could say I know her because I know who she is. <laughs> She's going to walk by, I know who she is. <laughs> but as time went on, I've come to know her by personal experience. And this is what Paul is saying. This has become his greatest passion, his greatest pursuit, his greatest commitment in life. And it has become the most fulfilling thing on every level. But he didn't arrive here just by deciding that. He went through a lot of testing of doing it his own way, running his own life. And he found that was a pretty miserable way to live. So we take this one verse, and as we break it down into the three parts of it, to me, there are three ways we come to know Christ, in his life, his suffering, and his death. I'll just spend a brief time on each one of these. First of all, we come to know him by experience through his life. It's not just that Jesus was born. He died was buried, three days in the grave. Everybody around him saw him die, confirmed his death, Roman soldiers, religious leaders, and his friends. 
So he's dead. All of his followers lost hope. In fact, on, on Sunday morning that he rose from the dead, they, they were really discouraged. It was the lowest point of their lives. He's dead. It's like everything we had hoped in, everything we believed in, he's dead. But he rose again. So he conquered the power of death. On Friday, he conquered the power of sin. Those are the two things that you and I have no power over. I mean, as, as much as I love the CU professors that claim that they can extend life to 150, 160, um, haven't seen that happen yet. <laughs> there are two inevitable realities of your life. One, sin, two, death. And death is a result of sin. We're sinners, all of us, and we're going to die. And no amount of science, industry, space exploration, ingenuity is going to change the fact that you're a sinner, and because of sin and the effects of sin, directly or indirectly, we're going to die. We've seen a lot of that this year, haven't we? We've seen a lot of it. But Jesus conquered these two things. Resolve these two problems. So when we know him through his life, I know maybe the first thing you think about is eternal life, because that's what he offers. There's a verse that Paul put up there earlier. I love it. It's John 10, 10. Jesus said this to his followers, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest extent. Wow. It's not just that he wants to save your soul from hell and give you a ticket to heaven. That's true. Because of what he did, he is offering to you the gift of eternal life to live with him in heaven forever. I mean, that's really good news, isn't it? But it's better than that. He, he is offering you full life here. Meaningful life. Abundant life. And all of this he has come for. I have come that you might have life, eternal life, and have it to the fullest extent. That's the kind of Christ that we have. He loves you that much. He has come to do that. He talks about this to attain to this resurrection, that we might attain to this life, this resurrected life, this new life, and not be caught up with death. Got an interesting text on Thursday night. We got a men's group, and one of our guys sent out a group text. He said, I got, I got to tell you this story. He said, I'm out for a run in my neighborhood. He runs regularly. And um, he said, but I chose to go a route that I normally don't go. In fact, I've never run this route. And as I'm running, I see this, what appears to be a college student, seated on a bench. And I notice out of the corner of my eye, he has a pamphlet. And something must have been recognizable about the pamphlet that was explaining the good news of Christ. You know, the, the offer of eternal life, the, this, the very thing I'm telling you about now. This, this college student's reading this. And so... He stops and he says, how you doing? He said, and I, I'm not sure it's a little bit awkward. You know, he stops start talking to a guy. He says, uh, what do you think about what you're reading there? And they start talking. 
They start talking, they talk a long time. And this young man comes to understand the good news of eternal life and put his faith and trust in Jesus for eternal life. Now, let's just back up a little bit. Earlier in the week, in our men's group, we're talking about, you ever hear this term, situation awareness? <laughs> we need some situation awareness here. I do that in my family all the time, and they, they play it back on me. Said, you know, we go through life with blinders on, on my mission, my goals, what I'm going to do, because I'm going to be happy, right? <laughs> and we're not aware of all the things that are going on around me all the needs that people have because we're so consumed with ourselves. Jesus wasn't like that. If, there, if there's one guy that was ever on this earth that was, should have been on mission, it would have been Jesus, right? I mean, but he's always aware, looking around, situation awareness, the needs of people. And we just talked about this as guys because we're, you know, we're all guys and we're worse than the women are at most things. Um, we get so consumed with the next thing, the, you know, the, the job, you know, what I got to get done. I, gotta, I don't have time. I don't have time for this. And I could see that. And, and I'm not sure if that prompted this young man to be more situationally aware. But if you think about it this way, that God had been at work in this young man's life way before this incident, right? I mean, God's everywhere, always working in everybody's life. He's working over here. He's also working here. And what do you know? I'm running a different route. I just happen to be running by this, where it just happens to be a need. And I think this, to me, that's just a great story of the love of God. He loves people. He brings them together. He helps find answers. Because I think this young man, probably like every other college student, and I've been around a lot of college students through the years, that they're looking for purpose, they're looking for meaning, they're looking for significance, they're looking for a career, they're looking for happiness, and they're trying to pursue it in every way that they know. So this guy's doing this, that's probably why he's reading that particular pamphlet. God's already been at work, brings in this person, and he comes to know him and his life, his life eternal, and then from this, you know, to me, like you say, it's the first day of the rest of your life, now that you have come in, part of God's family, this isn't, that's not the end. It's not just, well, you're going to heaven someday. This is just the beginning of God fulfilling that promise. I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest extent. So that's how you come to know him, through his life. You come to know him through his life. Secondly, we come to know him in his suffering. And, you know, this one has always been a little bit hard for me because I'm thinking there is nothing about that word that I like. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of suffering in this world. We've, this last year, we've seen a lot of pain, difficulty, suffering everywhere on a lot of different levels. So how could I come to know Christ and fullness of life through suffering. And I think the scriptures make it pretty clear that, that when we have times of great need and great pain and great suffering, 
Where do we run? When I was a kid, I know where I'd go. I'd go to my mother, go to my dad. We go to our Heavenly Father. Sometimes I, I get up and I plan my day. You know, it's kind of like you, you make your plan, you work your plan, make my list of checklists, get everything done. I give a little prayer, what I call nod to God. Hey, God. You know, it's kind of like, thanks for saving me. I got it from here. <laughs> and I go on my way because I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to get it done. I know what to do. And then I start struggling. So I'll work a little harder. I get, I get, you know what, crank it up, grab my resources, work, work more hours, get it done. And I find that at some point there's no amount of diligence or ingenuity or creativity that ever brings that peace. And I can only find it coming back to Christ. I love the story of Joseph. If you've ever read the first book of the Bible, Genesis, there's a story about a young man named Joseph. And he was like the perfect kid, you know. At 17 years of age, his brothers betray him, sell him as a slave <laughs> to Egypt. He goes to Egypt. He's a slave. He gets betrayed. He gets lied about. He gets thrown in prison. Thirteen years later, thirteen years, he's still in prison. And through a miraculous set of events, he goes from being in prison to being second in command over all of Egypt, ruling the entire land under Pharaoh. And a famine is coming. And so he's able to set it up for his entire family, all 70 of them, to move to Egypt and have everything they need. In the meantime, he has grown, he has matured, and he has become a world-class leader. Now, it would have been real easy for him to get bitter. You know, what his brothers did to him, what the Egyptians did to him, and start to really spin out. But the suffering that God allowed in his goodness brought Joseph to a higher level of maturity, of leadership, of influence, and he became the rescuer of his entire family. This is the way God always works. Now, when you're in the middle of it, your situation, it's not the same as Joseph's, but when you're in the middle of it, you don't see it. So it really stretches your faith to believe that, that God has made that promise. We read that in Romans 8 and verse 28. He says, all things, everything works together for good. In other words, God's weaving it together for good for you. I think that's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. You see, through suffering, there's, you think there's nothing good in this, but God is moving you to deeper relationship with him and dependence upon him and looking to him. And he's bringing you to maturity and preparing you for eternity. But someday that's where we're all going to be, in a perfect place, wonderful place. You know, if you kind of picture the Garden of Eden, like where everything is right, everything is perfect, it's amazing. Better than that. Better than that. 
You're not going to be floating on a cloud. No. You're going to be managing things, doing things, enjoying things. That's, that's what the scriptures tell us. Not the storybooks. Strict scriptures tell us that's what it's going to be. So through suffering, God brings good. So I'm having breakfast yesterday. A couple of guys, young guys. Of course, with me, everybody's younger. So <laughs> it's kind of like that, my point in life. But I'm having breakfast with a couple of guys, and we're just kind of talking family and that sort of thing. These guys have younger, they have young kids, you know. And um, so we're just talking about what they're doing. And one of the guys was saying, you know, my wife has had the kids drawing pictures of Easter. You draw, drawing that, and I imagine the cross and the tomb and the resurrection with the crayons. And, and um, he comes by his five year old, his little girl, she's drawn a picture of a cross. But she's drawn the detail of Christ on the cross, which I thought, five year old, drawing the details of Jesus on that cross. And then he says, why is Jesus smiling? She said, what? He says, you drew a smile on his face. Now think about this for a moment. The most painful, ruthless way to die in this time was crucifixion. I mean, it's a horrible death. It's a horrible death. It's a torture so this little five-year-old girl is drawing a picture of Christ on the cross and putting a smile on his face. Doesn't that seem like a, someone needs to help her understand what's happening here? And, and she says this, she says, because he's helping people. Tell you what, folks, I don't think in 45 years of doing ministry, I've heard a story that powerful. <laughs> I told this guy, I said, you know, I, I, I mean, there may be something up, but, but that story to me, it moved all of us to tears. <laughs> this little five-year-old in simplicity gets it. She gets it. The pain, the suffering, the bleeding, the dying, the rejection, the agony, he has a smile on his face because he's helping people. How does he help them? He's paying for their sin. He's setting them free from the bondage of their sin, the slavery of their sin. He's offering to them eternal life. He's smiling. And I said to him, I said, do you know there's a scripture that actually says that? It's found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. It describes Jesus on the cross. And it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. <laughs> right there. Jesus on the cross, suffering, bleeding, dying, had joy. He pleased the Father. He offered salvation to the world. He laid down his life while they're mocking, scourging, rejecting. He has a smile because he's helping them. 
So how do we know him? We know him through his life. We know him through suffering. And we also know him through his death. Death for us is such finality. It's something the longer you live, the more you become accustomed to. And I think that thing that rocked my world when I was 18 years old was I had two friends, a girl two doors down from me and a guy right behind me that I saw every day. She was killed in a car accident, just like that. And then he took his life. Never saw that coming. Never saw. And I'll tell you what, it rocked my world because I thought, you know, at that time, here I am, 18. From the time I was probably about 11 or 12, I was going to do life my way. Now, I kind of stayed within the lines somewhat, (laughs) I was miserable, I was unhappy, but I was, I was going gonna, was gonna to be full, you know, I mean, it's my life. And that began to really impact me. What does it say here? It says, becoming like him in his death. There's another place that Paul says in another letter Galatians, he writes, verse, chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, I, Paul, am crucified with Christ. In other words, he's identifying with the death of Christ. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's no longer me. It's Christ living in me. So the state, really what he's saying is, I have come to the place where I am going to die to selfish ambition, vain pursuits, doing life my way, finding pleasure. Folks, it's what the rest of the world is doing all the time. We're just going to strive. We're going to work. We're going to make money. We're going to build buildings. We're going to get it all done. And at the end... Remember, I was listening to an interview of a sports figure that had like reached the ultimate attainment. He says, there's got to be more than this. You ask any guy who gets to the top, if there ever is a top, there's got to be more than this. How can you have all the money in the world and still be empty? Have all the success in the world and still be empty? Have all the friends in the world and still be empty? Rock stars that are worshipped taking their own lives drinking themselves to death, overdosing on drugs. Why? Because they're just trying to fill the void. It's like Blaise Pascal, a philosopher, once said, he said, God has created you inside with a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. He created you. He's loved you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to bless your life, to fill your life to satisfy every way, but you must die first. Dietrich Bonhoeffer during World War II said that he bids us come and die. When Jesus said, follow me, that's his command, follow me. It's an invitation to die and to come alive. Death to the old, life to the new. Paul said it this way, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. 
And it's a better life. I've shared this before. I don't get tired of sharing it. In fact, for me, it's my own personal story. I had fought God, fought God, fought God, fought God, and, and, and I really wouldn't listen to anyone. And this college student, I'm still in high school, says to me, why don't you start just reading God's word? And uh, he kept bugging me. <laughs> I mean, it, every time I see him, I go, oh, you know, so I thought, I'm going to start reading my Bible just to get this guy off my back. And so I just said, I'm going to read something today. And I'm, I'm just, you ever do that before? You just kind of thumb through the Bible and go, okay. <laughs> That's what I did. <clears throat> and um, started reading just to get him off my back. And I kept reading. I read for about a month. Nothing changed, nothing magical, nothing happened. Didn't make a lot of sense to me. And then I came to 1 Corinthians 10.31, where Paul said, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all for his glory and his pleasure. And after I read that, I closed my Bible and went to bed. <laughs> but the next night, I went to read again. I couldn't read on any further. Because I knew, it, I knew that to that point, I was living my life for my pleasure, my glory, and my good alone. I was a self-worshipper. And I finally went in. I was up at a camp. had bunk beds inside. I went in there and I knelt down and I said, God, I'm tired fighting I'm tired of living this way. And as best as I know how, I want to follow you. That was in June after my graduation from high school. And everything changed. Everything changed. Well, I bet your life really got boring after that. I was telling some guys the other day, there, there's nothing I haven't been able to do. I mean... My whole life, it's not like, well, you know, you can't go on vacation anymore. God's going to send you to Africa. You're going to go to China. You can't ride bikes anymore. <laughs> can't go camping. Everything good I kept and so much more. <laughs> it's, you know what's so amazing, too, is I had, when, I went, when I went off to college my freshman year, I was a different person. I still loved having fun. I still loved doing the same things. But someone asked, who's that guy over there who's always smiling? Now, the reason for that was here. The reason I never smiled was because I was empty. I was angry. I was frustrated. I wasn't fulfilled. But when I said, Lord, I surrender to you. You're Lord of my life. I'll follow you. And then when he takes control, it's like, oh, no. You think, no, no. Everything he plans is good. Everything I was doing was a disaster. <laughs> Everything he plans is good. There's a place in the Gospel of John where Jesus used this illustration. He said, it's John 12, verse 24. He takes a little seed calls it a corn of wheat. 
So imagine if you took now a piece of corn is fairly big seed, but he's talking about a corn of wheat, which is a little bitty seed. And here's what he says. He said, unless this corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it'll bring much fruit. So here is my life, this little piece of corn. Here's your life, a little piece of corn. And as long as you're living and thriving and doing well, and it's all about me, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not dying to anything, I'm going to do everything I want to do, you're going to remain alone. And it's a very, very small world. And you will never be happy. Maybe have moments of happiness, but there's never going to be a lasting peace. There's never going to be a real fulfillment. But if, if you, this corn of wheat, dies, because a seed has to die before it sprouts. It has many seeds, many seeds. And fruit, that's what it's about, fruit. It's like, this is amazing. When you die, it just explodes. Here's what I kind of think would happen to death, you know, because we don't like death. <clears throat> when Jesus died, I mean, he died probably earlier than the other two because they had beat him so much. They say his body was so disfigured, he didn't even resemble human humanity. He was so disfigured. So he died. And just to make sure, they took a spear and thrust it up into the side. Blood and water just gushed out. He's dead. He's dead. And I imagine that Satan, <laughs> the enemy of God and the enemy of Christ and the enemy of you and the enemy of me, I can tell you this, Satan has an, a plan for your life too, and it's absolute destruction. Do you know that? He's out to destroy your life, your marriage, your family, your kids, your future. And he has an agenda to do so. I imagine that Satan, when Jesus finally was dead, he's going, yeah, yeah. All the other demons, you know, they're kind of like, yeah, 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 he's dead. But as the hymn goes, death could not keep its prey. He tore the bars away. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose the victor over a dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And I imagine Satan, no, no, he's back. There's, he's back. And there are thousands of them because that seed multiplied in the lives of every believer. I'll tell you what it did to the, the disciples. They were doubting. Remember doubting Thomas? They were doubting. They were running. They were hiding. They were in fear. And after that resurrection, they were on fire. They were on fire. They'd seen it. Now Satan has got more on his hands. <laughs> He's got thousands of seeds producing fruit. And the authenticity of Christianity is seen 
not perfectly in us. <laughs> Don't ever get that idea. But people see there's a difference. There's been a change. Much fruit, much joy, much fulfillment. That's why when Paul came to the very end of his life, he said this, I fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. And henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown and glory. When Jesus said, follow me, he's not inviting you to an easy life. Christianity is not an easy life. It is not easier. If anyone tells you that, it's misleading. It is not an easier life to live for Christ in this world. It is a better life. Because you know that while you suffer, you ultimately succeed. Rather than appearing to su su succeed now and ultimately suffering for all eternity. It's a difference. We have hope in this. So grace, it's what you want, it's what I want, it's what the whole world wants. Grace, goodness, peace, purpose, meaning, fulfillment, satisfaction. You want grace. Grace has a face. You can turn every other way, but you come back to Jesus, who loves you, who created you, and is the only one able to give you life eternal and life to the fullest extent. You know what, folks, what I just told you right now, they call that the good news. <laughs> There's no better news. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. I've been doing that for the last 46 years. Because I, when I was going to college to study business, to make money like everybody else, and I'm not saying that's wrong because that's what God calls most everybody else to do. But he said to me, you know what? I'm so flat out excited about this. I am so stirred by this. I am so moved by this. I want to tell everybody I see. And I try to restrain myself. I don't want to try and grab you. God doesn't do that. He didn't grab you. Oh, you need to become a Christian. You need to follow Christ. No, no. He invites you. He just says, follow me. Follow me. I love you, I have purpose, I have meaning, follow me. Praise God. All I can say is, <laughs> he's so good to give us that. Father in heaven, oh, bless us with this truth. We fight against it in our flesh, but we need you. So we thank you for this weekend, for what we celebrate of you dying on a cross for our sins to pay the debt that we owed, for rising from the dead to give us life that we could never have, purpose and meaning. And I pray for every person here that you would bring them to that place where they have perfect peace and see that grace, goodness, has a face. And it is Jesus who's always there, always loving, never leaving and may that become personal personal knowledge let's stand to our feet as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed we're going to close here in just a moment but I don't know where you are with God um, but I know this I know where he is with you he still loves you he's there he's there if you call on him and if we can be of any help to you throughout the week that's why we're here 
Um, I love sitting down one-on-one or in small groups as much as doing anything. Just talking it through. Find out for yourself if this is true. Just put that out for you. So Lord, dismiss us in your care and your love and your concern. May we recognize that when you say, come follow me, it's the greatest invitation ever. And I pray we'd never let up in seeking you to find our joy, our happiness, our peace, our fulfillment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great evening. God bless you.